Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, where we celebrate the people, ideas, and companies that stand out. We're sponsored by the good folks at Oracle NetSuite. Learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business today at netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different. And my friends at Splunk want to underscore how strategic data is. According to a research firm IDC, by 2025, the average person, get this, will interact with a connected device nearly 5,000 times a day, and there will be 163 zettabytes of data, which is 10x more than there is today. So the opportunity is clear. We all want to be a data-savvy business, and Splunk is the category king in big data. Splunk is the company empowering you to seize the massive data opportunity in front of all of us. Check out Splunk.com. That's S-P-L-U-N-K.com, and tell them Lockhead sent you. All right, this episode, it's a super fun one. Our guest is music and industry and podcast legend, the co-host of the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, which is one of my top five, and the co-founder, you got to love the name of this company, of Slender Fungus, <laughs> a design company working primarily in the music industry, none other than Brian Schulmeister. And if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know we've had his partner and co-host on Grumpy Old Geeks on several times, and uh, Brian is long overdue. We have a really fun conversation. We talk about music. Brian built his name building some of the very first websites for some of the top bands in the world, like Stone Temple Pilots and the Goo Goo Dolls. And uh, he built uh, the, the, the Green Day website for American Idiot and, and many, many, many more. So we talk about music and all that good stuff. And of course, we get our grump on. We talk about why Brian hates the term AI. He says there's no such thing as AI. We talk about what's going on with undersea data lines between the U.S. and China, one of the biggest breaches in AWS history, um, how there are 176 types of farts and the scientists that figured that out, <laughs> and way more. Uh, go to Lockhead.com for the show notes on this episode to learn more about Brian and the key takeaways. And now, hey-ho, let's go. So I've been hearing you in, in my ear holes a lot recently, obviously, because Jason, my co-host, has been on your show a few times and he turned me on to it and I've started listening to your show and, and you very graciously stepped in and co-hosted for me when I decided I needed a vacation day. Um, and then I started listening to your show and uh, I think one of the things that drives Jason crazy about me is regardless, you know, our show is called Grumpy Old Geeks, but I don't have a lot of those geeky qualities anymore like I did in, say, my teens and 20s where I don't do deep dives on things like Jason's always like, did you listen to the behind the scenes podcast about that show? We like, I'm no, no, I didn't. Did you see the Blu-ray footage of the extras and deleted? No, no, I don't care about deleted scenes. I don't do a lot of research all the time. And I, I hadn't really looked you up. I hadn't even looked at your website. I've just been listening to you. And I, I thought this was great because I was reading uh, a little bit about you on your site and uh, you've got wonderful, wonderful reviews and, and people saying wonderful things about you. But the thing that you put in that I love is, and off-putting to some by The Economist. <laughs> now, I love that in particular for, for two reasons. One, uh, we just recently got a review uh, from a person who really liked our show, but he called me arrogant and off-putting personality. <laughs> 
So you and I are simpatico. We can be off-putting. But the other thing I wanted to say, and tell me if you agree with this, is I think that means you're doing something right. Yeah, I think so too. I think if everybody likes it, I mean, look, there's some things that everybody likes, but although, you know, it's interesting that you say that. This is a bit of a segue. A comedian Hmm. that I've liked for a long time is this guy, Jim Gaffigan. Very funny. Very funny. And he is, I think, appealing across a very broad spectrum, unlike, you know, George Carlin, who maybe is my all-time favorite. But I recently heard part of him on uh, the Rogan podcast. And the impression I got, and maybe I'm being shitty, (laughs) but he gave me the impression that who he is on stage is actually a character. Yeah. He has contrived a character that he thought would be funny, but also have the most appeal. I 100% agree with you on that. I think that's exactly what he does. And that that doesn't, for me, detract from the comedy element. He is what he is. And I enjoy it, or some people don't. Uh, but some people don't like Carlin, but I think Carlin's authentic. See, I can't watch um, Gaffigan's comedy anymore. He's got a new comedy special on Amazon, and I, I started watching it after I heard this. It's ruined it for you? Yeah, because yeah. I feel duped because the way he presents himself, and maybe it's just me, I didn't think he was a character. I thought that was him. Now it's a right. version of him. I'm not an idiot, but but it it's when he sort of I heard him break it down. It it sounded so fucking contrived. <laughs> well, so, uh, two thoughts there. One, you never really want to know how the sausage is made. You, you just don't. Um, having been in the entertainment industry for 25 ish years now, I'm well aware of the fact that public persona and actual personality are often very different things. Um, but I think that there is something to when we feel and sense that authenticity and that's what makes a real star. And that doesn't necessarily mean financially successful or, or, you know, across generations or everybody loves them like they love Oprah. I mean, a fucking star, like you can tell when they get on stage, whatever it is they're doing, the authenticity is there and the connection is there and the deep connection with fans is there. And I don't think Jim Gaffigan will ever have that either because that's not what he's going for. He's doing something different. And being aware of that doesn't really bump me. I get how it would bump you. I feel that way about musicians. I feel nice <laughs> too, right? Yeah, right. I'm not stupid. Me and my uh, brother-in-laws, I have two spectacular brother-in-laws. We went to see the Stones when they were in town recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I'm not an idiot. I know that who we see on stage and, you know, just for the record, uh, Mick Jagger still moves like Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know that that's a use case of those guys, that they, that is not who they are. All You know, I get that part. Look, and, my line about the Stones these days is the, the Rolling Stones are the best Rolling Stones impersonation band out there. <laughs> I, You know, I thought they sounded great. I mean, the, the audio techs, I mean, I've never heard guitars sound better in, a, in an arena like that. And you could... Yeah literally hear Mick take a breath. He would go <gasps> to sing the chorus of sympathy for the devil. And you could hear him breathing in, in stadium with 60 or 70,000 people. Hey, they have the best equipment and the best people in the world working for them and they can I, afford it. <laughs> I was away. It was yeah. amazing. But anyway, you know, and mm. you know, there's certain comedians, you like, of course, Pee Wee Herman's a character. 
Right. Of course, Andrew Dice Clay is not who that guy is. That's a character he invented. Of course, Larry the Cable Guy isn't, that's not him. He's not even his real name. His real name is whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> I like Gaffigan, you know, I feel naive. He got me. Yeah, you know, character. If you want to know a good way to figure this out, I, this may ruin some comedians for you, but I can tell you exactly how to figure out which ones are real and which ones are characters. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, you, you see Sarah Silverman and the shit she types. That's her. That's her all the time. That's her on stage. That is the same persona. That is authentic. That is who she is. And then you'll see people like a Jim Gaffigan who doesn't really tweet all that often, doesn't get into it with fans, doesn't, you know, doesn't mix it up, doesn't go off the record. He's just promoting himself and doing what he does on Twitter. So you can tell, you can get that vibe off Twitter. Uh, as much as I hate Twitter. I never connected <laughs> that dot. And it's it's such a bummer because my hope is the person, like I'll give you a simple example. Mm -hmm. We had Kerry Walsh Jennings on the podcast. Right. And I had a very distinct impression of her from um, her public persona. Right. And I met her through a mutual friend, my dear friend, Matt Lyles, who um, grew up playing volleyball with her. And so there was a connection there and he knows her and her family well. So I had an inside track. Right. Even without, if you sort of forget the inside track before, I had an impression of her. And when I met her, she was that person and more. And so I understand that public people, you know, they're not going to expose their whole life. And, and, and it's, it's a use case of them. But the ones I gravitate towards are the ones that feel like the use case of them that we are presented with is, is a legitimate uh, execution <laughs> they are, as opposed to a contrived character, except in the case where it's Larry the Cable Guy. It's obviously a fucking character. Right. Uh, am yeah. I just a naive idiot? <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're not. But I mean, you're, as you're saying this, I'm casting my mind back to, to like my, my 14-year-old self who gravitated towards goth and punk rock over pop because that was authentic and pop was manufactured bullshit. Uh, but then there was, you know, your slipknots. Okay, well, they're fucking crazy and it's obviously a show. <laughs> but yeah. you still feel they're somewhat authentic about it. You know, it's, I, I, yeah, it's a show. Like Alice you know? Cooper, right? We're in right. on the show. We're, he, he may never give us an actual nudge, nudge, wink, wink, but we know. <laughs> I think he actually technically did when he went on Wayne's World. That was the nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Okay, good. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> probably right. It's, it's like Ozzy. Ozzy. Yeah. Ozzy knows he, he what's his um fuck what's his um what's his tagline um <laughs> I think that's his tagline these days <laughs> oh it's like the angel of death or yeah, uh, right right um, something like that blanking on it anyway um but like of course it's a show he's a doddering you know <laughs> crazy ass <laughs> yeah so how long did you work in the music industry Brian um some may say I'm still M. I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay, well, how long have you been working? I, I, I don't think I actually really am anymore because I finally shuttered my company after 20 plus years. So um, let's see. I graduated college in 95 and um, my first job was for a company called Hollywood Online. And this was so early that they weren't even building websites yet. That's something I helped bring them into. They were putting together packages for movies for AOL. This <laughs> This is a long time ago. And um, as they started to do movie websites and pitch that, my interest in it and a couple of my friends, you know, we were just, what, 
fresh out of college, 21, 22 years old, uh, tried to push them into, well, let's do music because we like music more than we like movies. And, you know, we started to do that. So, I'm, you know, we're looking at 96, 97, 95, 96. And then in, I'd moved around to a couple different companies at that point and, and the web had picked up a little bit. So uh, I found a company that had some music clients. I remember building an old Stone Temple Pilots website and stuff like that. And uh, what year would that have been, Brian? The- that would have been 96. So yeah, 96. If I could interrupt you, like, what's it like you're working <laughs> for STP building this thing that's very new, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, it sort of take me back. What's that experience like? Well, that experience at that time was not that exciting because I was so far removed. I was just this young peon programmer, right? Who had to work with a graphic designer who didn't get to meet the band, who didn't get anything. And I was, you know, I was getting paid maybe $40,000 a year. Well, I knew, we all knew they were getting million dollar contracts. They, they were pay, being paid so much money for this stuff because it was new and nobody knew. I'm sure the Stone Temple Pilots didn't pay that amount of money, but they had big clients. They had, you know, I was working on projects like Barbie and Hot Wheels and the Muppets and, you know, all that stuff. And that was big money back then. And we were getting paid next to nothing. And one of the reasons that was really annoying me because I kind of knew like, well, I'm the one that's actually doing all of this. You sold it, but I did it. And that frustrated me a lot. Um, but I was just a young, you know, arrogant kid. I was arrogant back there, back going back to my reviewer who called me arrogant now. I'm not anymore much. Um, and so that, that annoyed me and I wanted to leave. And I, I talked to my boss about it at the time. My boss was like, I got an idea for you. I'm going to, we're, we're, sell, we're trying to expand the company. This is like the first dot-com bubble times, you know, everything. This is just money everywhere. We're going to expand the company. We want to open up a London office. I know you love music. I have a friend that's a, a manager over there. He manages Prince. He manages Sinead O'Connor. He manages World Party. We're going to send you and, and another person over there, your, your graphic designer partner. We're going to send you over there to start up a London branch. And I'm like, okay. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is my way in. This is how I'm going to get my own thing going. And that's kind of what happened. I hung out for about a year and then I just didn't want to work for the company anymore. But I had made connections at that point and I uh, moved back home and started up my own company and basically had World Party and Sinead O'Connor as clients to begin with. And that was it. Wow. And um, at that, that's when it got fun. <laughs> because music websites you've built? Oh. Or been a part of building? At least 60. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go through the list a little bit. I'm, I want to know <laughs> all 60 or at least 10 or 15. All right. Well, it started with World Party and Sinead. And again, this is very early days. And this is when it became fun because now it was me that was talking to the artists and, and me that was talking to the managers and me that was talking to the labels. And it and things were starting to pick up. And, and I remember I got a call at that point because uh, from a guy named Pat Magnarella, who's still a big manager out there. Uh, and the Goo Goo Dolls had just had their gigantic hit Iris. And they had paid a company tons and tons and tons. And basically, this is actually my career in a nutshell. They had paid somebody else tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of money who could not come through and could not finish the website. And Iris was number one at the chart for weeks and weeks and weeks at this point, And they did not have a website. up. And he called me up and said, well, what can you do about it? And basically, I was able to go in download the entire website because they had gave them the FTP. You know, nobody knew anything back then about security. They had given them the FTP, but like, what do they, what does a management company know what FTP is? They didn't. So 
I was able to grab the whole website and I was able to finish it up and build it and then get a server, get a server online, put it up and, and boom, there you go. And from that then came all the other bands on his label. I ended up working with Alanis Morissette for years and years and years, Green Day for years and years and years. Um, I've worked with Coldplay for years. I worked with Rihanna. I worked with Brad Paisley. I worked with just, you know, a lot of people. (laughs) Funnily enough, I've never really, the only band I've ever worked with that I actually really like is a band called Love and Rockets. And they're incredibly obscure, of course. I remember Love and Rockets, of course. You and I are the same vintage. Yes, there you go. So I worked with awesome them. Some logo. What was that? Their big record, the black record with um, ex- uh, so well, the one that So Alive was on, which I think was it was self titled. It was just called Love and Rockets. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that record um, very well. And actually, speaking of records, mm-hmm. I just bought a new record player and console. Oh, you're one of those vinyl guys, huh? I love vinyl. <laughs> uh, here's the thing that I never have experienced before: it's old and new at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my buddy Justin, who's like a genius AV guy, he lives uh, up in Marin. He came down and set the whole thing up. So he connected the console with, that, that I ordered with um, Sonos in it. Right. The whole house. Nice. And now we get to hear the <laughs> of the vinyl when you put the needle down in the kitchen. What I love about that, though, is you are hearing the analog signal converted to digital. And then sent back out and then reconverted to analog. So you're not even going analog to analog. You're going analog to digital to analog. You're, you're cheating, man. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, so there's like speakers in the living room and shit. And like, it's, it's amazing to have vinyl on Sonos. Like it, it, it blows my little mind. <laughs> well, what I like about that, though, again, going back to being a music guy is is that you're actually putting care and thought into the sound in your house, which most people don't do anymore. People are playing music off their fucking laptop speakers, or if we're lucky, maybe one of the ladies in the tube, which marginally better than the laptop speaker. Sonos is great. It's, the sound quality is phenomenal. I don't, I don't think we've raised an entire generation of people that don't understand how good music can sound. Well, yeah. And here's the other thing it's doing for me. Uh, I'm listening to way more records. Yeah. I'm way more. Now I'm really thoughtfully uh, building a record collection, Brian. The other thing that you're probably doing is reconnecting with the artists, the artists that you loved. And and you're probably like looking more into their catalogs and maybe more into their influences. That's what, when you really get into music, it's powerful. And the generation now and the way people experience music now is so shallow and, and disconnected from the artists. It's it's singles, it's Spotify playlists, and through horrible, horrible headphones, it's just bad. And it's not, it's not. I I understand why the music industry is doing so poorly right now. It's a combination of factors, but one of them is I don't think the enjoyment of listening to music is catching hold for people. It's it's just background stuff. Yeah, I get that. And uh, you know, look, I've fallen into the trap. <laughs> and the thing that's cool about what's happening, like. Right now in my life, we've gotten so used to listening to songs. Mm-hmm. Well, now listening to, to albums. Oh, it's the best. And it changes everything. And, and you know, you got to get up every whatever it is, 20 minutes or 25 minutes and flip the fucking thing over. And then, <laughs> and then when you've listened to both sides, then there's this whole thing that you do. And, you know, I'm sort of having all these ahas because I've been listening to records. There's this other thing you do now called what record are we going to listen to next? Yeah. 
And if there's somebody, you know, my wife's in the house or a friend's over or whatever, there's a conversation about that. There's no conversation today. To your point, you put on Pandora or Spotify and the thing. And whatever plays, plays. Right. And right. Yeah. Actually, a buddy of mine, Brian, said this. He's like, have you noticed on Pandora that everything ends, every station ends up centering on Jack Johnson? <laughs> is he, is he the, the, uh, the medium line of music? <laughs> it's where everything goes. <laughs> all roads lead to Jack Johnson. All roads, right? So like... <laughs> It's not offensive to anybody. It's pleasant. The Jim Gaffigan of music. Well, I was, yeah. Maybe, but <laughs> I hope he's authentic. Fuck, it would be a bummer if he isn't the guy that you th- that I, at least I think he is. Hey, look, uh, not not really a fan, but so he may be authentic, but if he is authentic, he's a very boring person. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You don't like banana pancakes? No, I'll pass. Thanks. <laughs> I, I still... I, I may be old, but I still uh, tilt towards my very angry, upset, and moody music. No, I get, I get all that. <laughs> Although I got to tell you, ever since I've lived in Santa Cruz full time, uh, Brian, I do listen to different music, particularly when I'm driving in Santa Cruz. It's right. Low. It's very relaxed. It's hard to li- listen to like metal or you know even the Ramones. Although I do listen to the Ramones, but like there's something about more reggae. You know, <laughs> mellow, more, you know, it's like happier. I don't know. Maybe it's look, I, I get it. I, I grew up in Orange County. I, I live in Santa Monica, right by the beach. I, by all means, all I should ever listen to is reggae and no doubt, but fuck that shit. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny. My, my punk gets really going. There's something about spring, you know, when we get to about like April. Heading into May, like every fiber in my being wants to throw everything away, start a punk band, <laughs> band, buy a serial killer van and a couple of marshals and get going. Like I and that I have felt that way since I was 14. Let me tell you though, you you would have enjoyed it in your twenties and thirties, maybe. Uh yeah. by by the ages that we are now, no, you don't want to do that. You really don't. That's one of the things I, I definitely learned throughout my career. I had a I had a blast in the twenties going out on the road with the bands, um, you know, hitting, getting on the tour bus tour with, I went out with, um, almost all of them. Almost every band that I've worked with, I've gone out for at least a week at some point. Um, so, most often I went with the Goo Goo Dolls cause I actually became friends with those guys. So uh, tell me about the Goo Goo Dolls. No, oh, salt of the earth guys. They're great. I mean, I, I, John, uh, the lead singer is one of my, my better friends. Um, a lot of the reason is he and I both had kids around the same time. So we have a lot of hot dad texting <laughs> going on. Um, Robbie, the bass player, I ended up starting a band with because I also had that, you know, desire to express myself musically and, and maybe do something. And, you know, we put together a whole EP and released it and all that. And that was a good time. And we played some live shows. It was a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, you know, once you have the kids and the wife and the house and, the mortgages and, and all of that. And, and also just, you get older and like, I, I've never understood people like Johnny Depp or Keanu Reeves, the, these actors who decide they want to become musicians because the musician's life is fucking hard. Like the actors, you, you get, you got, you, you get flown out to a place, you get put up in a crazy nice hotel. You make way more money than you'd ever make as a musician, unless you're maybe Coldplay or you too. Um, and, and you work for three months and then you go home and you do a promo tour and that's that. These guys, every day, up, on the bus, drive to the new city, set it all up, bored out of your mind, every day, the monotony, 
the monotony, the monotony, and the monotony is what causes the drinks and the drugs and all of that. Nothing and to do all day, right? There's nothing to do all day. You're waiting around to play a show at night, and then you got the adrenaline, and you got to burn it off, and you're on a bus. So you get drunk on a bus by yourself. That's the reality of being a touring musician. That's a rock star. That a friend of mine who's a wonderful gal. Uh, her, her and her friends were at this uh, place just outside of Santa Cruz, and it turned out. Um, uh, Billy Bob Thornton's band was playing there to your point. <laughs> right. So she was catching, she's telling me the story uh, a few days ago. She was catching up with two girlfriends and uh, Billy Bob walks in and he goes straight to them. Now, I don't know about her friends, but this gal's an attractive gal. So may, I'm right. maybe her friends, but Billy Bob goes to the three of them and they start talking. And he says, I, I th- did he want to drink tequila? I don't know. He wanted to drink liquor. I don't know what. I can't remember now. And this place was a beer place. And so they said, oh, well, I know where we can get tequila or whatever the fuck it was he wanted. So they go to this other place. They spend the entire afternoon drinking <laughs> with yeah. Bob Thornton. Sounds about and, right. And the whole town's sort of coming over. It's a small sort of town. <laughs> I don't know if you'd call it a suburb. It's a mountain town right adjacent to Santa Cruz. And like everybody's texting. And the gal telling me the story, it, it, she says, I'm texting my husband. They have a year old baby. She's like, I ain't coming home anytime soon. I'm getting drunk with Billy Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, is an amazing story. If you live it one night, these people, they do it every single night. And that's why they get burnt out like really badly. Um, yeah. You know, you see it happen to, to, you know, most of the people I know in the industry now are, are basically almost all sober. They have to be because you, you can't do that in your 40s anymore. And so, you know, tell me about what it was like for you guys on the road for with John and Robbie and the rest of the Goo Goo Dolls. No, it was always just a blast. I mean, at that point in time, you know, there wasn't even social media yet. And so half the reason that I was out there or social media was just taking off, uh, you know, I would just have a camera and a video camera and we'd be shooting stuff and this was all you know go up on websites for fan clubs or just uh, promotion or whatever so you know it's all it was always like every tour let's go out for a week or two just grab a whole bunch of footage do q a's take fan questions all that sort of stuff and you know so you get on the bus and you do that for about an hour and then the drinks come out and the stories start and you're listening to music and you're chatting and you know smoking cigarettes like you do in the back of the bus there's a fucking glitter ball and everything's going around and you're just you know and then you pull into the next city and you're like holy fuck it's 5 a.m how the hell did that happen and you crash and burn and you know you're young enough to recover and that's what touring with bands is like at that age um but like that how big's the touring circus that is that is, is the goo goo dolls but back in the back in the day it was big it was big yeah, there was, you know, multiple, multiple buses, 10, 15 trucks, lots of what gear. What arenas are they playing? Oh, they were playing big places back then, like Universal Amphitheater here, which no longer even exists. And, you know, like it was good. 20,000, like a hockey arena or basketball? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're still doing well, but they're not doing that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we all have our... Uh, which, which makes the Stones even more incredible. Like, yeah. Like it yeah, it really does. Out of the fucking stadium because there was 70,000 people there, right? It was Levi Stadium. Yeah. Um, but, and then I had this uh, hub, Ryan, as we were walking back to the car. This could be any city in the world. Yes. Any city. 
happening in Buenos Aires. This would be happening in Madrid. This would be happening in France. This would be happening in Singapore. This would be happening in Tokyo, right? Yeah, totally. And the same with, you know, a Paul McCartney or whatnot. And I think, you know, I think you'll, you'll, we still see that with you too. And we'll probably see that with you too, as long as they want to tour. Um, yeah, we'll see that with Coldplay as long as they want to tour. We'll see that with Green Day as long as they want to tour. What's up with Green Day? I was talking about them with a friend the other day. They, are they, have they been quiet or did I miss them doing some stuff? Uh, they've been quiet. Um, I, don't, I don't work with them anymore. I have no inside information at all, um, other than what I see on the news at this point. And, uh, you know, I think there's, they're one of the bands that have struggled with the issues of the touring not as well as other bands have. Um, they, they, there's some people that probably need to take some time off and, and rest and relax a bit. And um, hopefully they'll do that because they were all really nice guys. They were, um, you, you, you were with them back in the day. Uh, I only did one album cycle with them, but it was the big one. It was the American idiot tour. I've never ever seen anything like that before in my life. The insanity that ensued just, just from, I started working with them before the album came out. So we put together a whole website based on the artwork, knowing what it was going to be. And, um, you know, we came up with some ideas about let's do this. And we started a fan club because they already had a lot of fans and it was a paid fan club. So here's the deal. We'll do Q and A's. We'll do special photos. We'll do ticket, you know, meet and greet pass giveaways, all that sort of stuff. And we thought it would be a green day album and do very well. And, you know, it, there you go. We'll do a tour. But what, f- what actually happened was insanity. This thing blew up. It was, they were the biggest band in the world for that tour, for that album cycle yeah. in the world. I've never seen anything like that. It was amazing. I them on that tour uh, in Oakland. It was, yeah. it was absolute insanity. And the other thing that was interesting that I wasn't quite ready for was uh, Billy Joe had become a true rock and roll front man. Like, yeah. And I think, like front man working the audience. I mean, he had his own style, but like he was a front man and we, you know, the, the punk world you and I grew up in punk. Yeah. There were no front men. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of the reasons they're still struggling is, is I don't know how well they came to terms with that. I, I think after that whole process was over with, they didn't know what to do. I always think back to the police. Um, you know, I was very, very young at the time. I never even got to see the police play until they did their reunion tour. Um, but I was into them. Like they were the first band that I got into as a kid. Uh, and, and I just remember at the time, you know, their reason for breaking up is how are we ever going to top this? And it's only going to be diminishing returns after this. And I think that there was anytime a band does as well as Green Day did on the American Idiot Tour, I think that self-doubt and questioning comes in. Like what, how... Yeah. What are we going to do to make to keep this going? And the pressure on them because you know the labels. The, the, now you are a money making machine. We need to keep that money going. You know you're getting pressure from your management. You're getting pressure from your fans. You're getting negative pressure from your fans because now some of your all your real fans think you're sellouts. <laughs> There's so many different psychological things happening to you, and you know you touring is rough mentally, physically. And when you come off these tours, uh, these musicians are fucked up. And that's, even if they stay sober, it's just a rough life. Um, you know, it's just, it's rough. It's rough. And, and you know, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope they're doing great. I saw them on that tour. They were incredible as a, as a punker. I didn't view them as a sellout. It's like, hey, look, they had an opportunity and they went for it. And they were still, I believe, making great music. 
Mm-hmm. So, look, I actually love that album. I think it's great. I think American Idiot's a phenomenal album. I, right? It's a masterpiece. Yeah, definitely. And I thought Dookie was a masterpiece. Holy shit, when that record came out. Right? <laughs> that wasn't really my thing, but I totally get it. Most of my friends were super into him. Look, I, I, I had to get into it because... You know, look, the Ramones hardly sold. I don't even know that they sold them. I don't, I'm pretty sure they didn't sell a million records. Well, oh, you want to know the best stat about the Ramones? And I actually worked briefly with them as well. <laughs> well, at least the, the legacy. About. Uh, the Ramones have sold more t-shirts than they have records ever. Yeah. There are way more Ramones t-shirts that have been sold. Is that true for the Misfits as well? Uh, yes, that's also true for the Misfits. Yeah, that's what I would have guessed. I didn't yeah. know that about the Ramones, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> and they've done a great job of merchandising. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's an iconic logo and it's a, it's an instant symbol. If you wear a Ramon shirt, it means, you know, you're punk ass. Yeah. <laughs> and who would have ever thought that uh, Blitzkrieg Bop would be played in virtually every stadium everywhere in the world? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, yeah, there's that, but I, there's also just like, who would have thought uh, I walk around a grocery store now and I'm hearing Depeche Mode and The Cure. Like when I was a kid, that shit was so out there. Like I was ostracized from my high school because that's the music I listened to. Now it's playing in fucking whole foods. Uh, It's it's insane. Remember there was, I forget now the name of the song. Maybe it'll come to me. There was a a pop punk band called Bowling for Soup. Oh, I remember them. Thousands. And one of their quote unquote hits, you know, one of their more popular songs. (laughs) Exactly. Um, there's a lyric that goes, and when did Motley Crue become classic rock? <laughs> yeah, I just think it's, I think it's interesting and I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's eventually good music wins out because if you would have told me what was going to be playing in a grocery store when I was in high school, I would have assumed it was going to be the NSYNC and all the stuff that the other kids were listening to. Why would The Cure and Depeche Mode and, and Love and Rockets and Bauhaus ever be played in the store? I'm, I'm listening to the crazy stuff on the side. They're listening to the popular music, but the good music is one out in the end, right? Yeah. And that's why we should have faith in music right now, even though it's dominated by pop. The good music will will win out in the end. Yeah, and look, there's not a lot of rock and roll that's catching my attention. <clears throat> is a bummer, new rock and roll. Yeah. But, uh, there's a lot, like, there's, Adele is undeniable. I mean... Now she oh, the talent is undeniable, yes. But, like, you know, she's the biggest... I think like blow your head off talent to come out in a very long time. And, you know, Amy Winehouse was incredible. And, and yeah, but even Amy Winehouse is a generation ago. Now that's the thing. (laughs) That's the crazy thing, right? I don't know who the, who's the new Amy Winehouse or Adele. Is there one? I don't uh, see. I'm kind of in the world right now. I'm in the same place as you and that I'm not really finding a lot of stuff new anymore. And I'm, I'm concerned about that because that's making me feel really old. And I'm wondering, is it that I'm old or does music really just fucking suck now? Could be a little bit of either. Um, I, I, it's probably because we're old. I think it's, a, it's tough right now because everything is so fractured um, and nothing really reaches the surface except for the super mainstream pop and R and B stuff and the rap that we hear. Um, There are tons of little undergrounds everywhere, but who has the time to go and find them and research them and and crawl through the dark web to, to discover these artists. Uh, It's difficult now because no real alternative bands are getting any kind of, any kind of, promotion anywhere they're not on major labels really the promise of of 
satellite radio and internet radio has not really ever come through. Uh, you know, we've seen all the all the different stations on Sirius XM, and they're still all just playing the same shit that you hear everywhere else. Like, where's the alternatives? When I hear some new bands that sort of look like they might be rock bands, a lot of them are like, you know, they have this, this is going to sound terrible, but like a skinny <laughs> sweater wearing, you know, whiny dude lead singer, right? And yeah, that's the emo stuff. I mean, there's a lot of that out there. Stuff, and they have like, I think, wine if you're in and it's like ah fuck you know wipe your nose and get after it like <laughs> i don't know it, it's you know the funny thing is if you're looking for the rock and roll feel i don't necessarily i don't think you're going to find it in a guitar band anymore what i where i see a lot of that energy is in electronica that's where the angry stuff is coming out that's where the the, the that spirit that just fuck you and fuck the horse you rode in on and i'm going to do what i'm going to do and it's going to be angsty and i'm going to and fuck you that that's all in electronica now that's in like deep electronica i love how you say fuck you <laughs> <laughs> um and well i mean punk rock the, the fuck you is punk rock that's that's just you know you, you don't say it politely uh there's an artist actually a fairly new female artist that i really like that you should check out that uh, i dig her energy and her vibe and and she does weave in the electronica aspects a little bit but there's some guitar too check out k flay i think you dig her how do you spell it it's k dot flay f-l-a-y and uh, she's been one of the new artists that's come out recently that's really impressed me. One of the few that I've actually, that I could legitimately say, I'm with the kids on this one. <laughs> <laughs> now, I thought it would be fun. One of my, so first, let me just tell you, Brian, I'm so, mm -hmm. so fired up to be having this conversation. And no, like, I swear on a stack of whatever you want me to swear on, <laughs> your podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, is absolutely one of my top five. I appreciate that. And I, I do think it's funny that we've now talked for 40 minutes and not once mentioned technology, really, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do, see, I want to play in the news with you. I guess that's where I'm <laughs> But But um, it just, you guys have such a great vibe. It's, you're the right amount of grumpy. I don't necessarily always agree with you, but mm -hmm. I don't care. Like, it just, you're funny. Um, I have a big grump in me. <laughs> um, that like a lot of, you know, a lot of people tell you, Hey, don't, don't be so ornery and shit. And right. Like we try <clears> to be <throat> nice. Right. And yeah. I like part of why I love the show is it allows my brain to run with my ornery, ornery grump <laughs> asshole. Right. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, <laughs> the name originally started as a joke, but as we started doing the show, we actually started to realize that we were legitimately angry about a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, um, we were grumpy. We were, we were angry and we still are to some degree. We try to couch it with humor. Um, it's a lot, to me, it's a lot funny with the anger. The other yeah. Thing I'll before I forget, I hate to interrupt you. Hmm. You and Jason have bar none, no question by a very wide margin, the greatest tagline in podcasting. <laughs> it, let me see. That's a good right, one. Right. What went wrong on the internet and who's to blame? That's right. That's right. That's so great. <laughs> and that's kind of what we do. Um, you know, the, the thing, the funny thing is uh, at one point, I actually, I wanted to quit doing the podcast um, because I felt I was getting too grumpy, too angry, too depressed. I really did. Um, it was shortly, um, shortly after the, at the birth of my child. Um, and I started to realize like, you know, I've really got to try to have a, better outlook on life right now 
I've got a kid. I do not want my kid to get get any of this vibe off me. And and shortly after that, my father passed away, and that was I was quite close to him, so that was very rough. And and I was I was I had written the email to Jason to say that I wanted to quit the show, that I, I couldn't do it anymore because it was just too frustrating to me to to obviously. I don't know where you sit at politically. I'm guessing you and I would be simpatico on most things and we would probably sit around and drink a whiskey and bitch about the same sort of stuff. Regardless of where you are politically, no denying can be made of the fact that once Trump took office, the news became relentless. Just beat you over the head and it still is. It's just every day there's another insane drama. The best thing about politics that I can never say is I want to go back to the point where we don't think about politics. That's what I would like but that didn't exist. So I was dealing with all these things at the same time. And I was just like, I'm I, I, doing the show fucks me up. It, it, it does. It's, it's just making me crazy. It's, it's, I can't just keep reading these things and these stories and these horrible people that are making millions of dollars and can't pull their shit together and can't even lock their server down. And they're all they're doing is stealing our data. And they, not only are they selling it, they can't even keep it safe. And, and, just, and, and, and then I just to explode, right? Yeah. My head wanted to explode and it was too much. And, and my mom, uh, even though my dad had just passed away, my mom had kind of noticed that I was not doing well. And um, she basically just told me, you know, you can't control things. It's, it's not in your control. The, the best that you can do is, is you can see them and you can point them out and, and you can try to tell people what's going on and, and, and try to bring some humor to it because you've always had humor. And, and that's kind of kept me going. And then I also read a couple books and I just kind of realized that as bad as things may seem right now, for the most part, things just keep getting better. The long play is more equality, more freedom. And it just continually does. Yes, we take steps back here and then. Right now, we're in a step back as far as I'm considering it. Maybe if you're a neo-Nazi, you think this is the best time ever. Yay. Um, but uh, we're still on an upward trend, and it's going to keep going. You can't stop progress. And progress is the things that I want, equality and freedom and all of that. Democracy's messy. Mm-hmm. Um, innovation's yeah. messy. Yes. We are making a lot of mistakes in, in the technology world today. Oh, you think? Reality. <laughs> I mean, clearly, uh, hopefully we're going to talk about a few here then have some fun with. Um, but overall, humanity is better off today than it ever has been. Yes. It, it just, yes. No denying that. Yes. And it's easy to be cynical and, and <clears throat> have fun and be grumpy. And I love to get my grump on. <laughs> but the reality is technology has made the world a better place. Technology has created more opportunity. Technology has... Uh, 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 created a whole, a whole, whole big breakthroughs in um, the way human beings live our lives, how long, mm-hmm. how well we live, how safe we are, how fulfilled we are, etc. Yes. There's no denying that shit. Yeah. Now we're at a tipping point right now. Along the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we're at a tipping point right now, at least with technology. Um, I think there are some. If if we are going to, we could very easily lose control of the ship right now. I think um, there are some very important movements going on. I think you know the whole data rights as human rights is very important. Uh, I think if we let go of our data now, we're sunk. And you think we'll get to a place, place Brian, where um, I hate to say it, but by law we own our data, and if anybody's going to do anything with our data, you know they have to pay us, they have to ask us, they have to something. But that that what we have today, where companies mine us to monetize us, where 
that actually is stopped by law? I would like to see that. I would like to see that very badly. Are we going to see it? I, I hope I'm hopeful. I, I think we need to. I think if we don't, um, the I mean, future is, is not bright. With Bittner on your podcast, mm-hmm. you know, makes my sphincter pucker. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, that segment is still pretty rough. And, but we've, we've talked off the air about it and we think that it's, it's important for people to hear it because it's the reality. It is what's happening right now. And we need to stand up to it and we need to start making noise about it. And we need to educate people about it. You know, the basic Becky needs to understand what's going on when she does her Instagram. She needs to know because then she's going to be pissed. The other thing I keep hoping is that, and this is probably the naive idiot in me, that the industry, the technology industry will sort of slowly start to wake up here and realize, you know what, if we don't behave better, there's a chance we might get regulated up the wazoo and not really like it. I, um, I used to believe that that would happen. It's not happening. I, I think we desperately need the regulation. I think the governments need to step in now at this point. But how can these folks regulate the industry when uh, I'm sure you saw, actually, <laughs> you guys talked, you must have like, talked about when Zuckerberg goes to Congress. Yeah. Like, they don't. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, like <laughs> what? How can somebody who doesn't know how to check their email do the regulations? I, yeah. Yes. When well, somebody prints your email and hands them to you, you don't get to interview Zuckerberg. <laughs> I agree, but the, they need to convene special panels of experts. That's, that's the way things have always been done. I don't expect my politicians to understand gas emissions. I don't expect my politicians to understand FDA regulations. You, you get learned experts in to tell you what's going on, and then you review the evidence, and you make a decision, and you write a bill. That's the way it's all supposed to work. Initially, we made fun of that fact a lot on Grumpy Old Geeks. Like, how are these politicians ever going to do anything? And then I realized, again, to the same thing, if all we do is make fun of this, let's actually talk about how it's actually supposed to work. Where are the experts? Where are the panels? Why aren't you convening people? Why aren't you getting panels together? Why aren't you drafting bills? Because that's what they're supposed to be doing for us. Why aren't you, look. uh, Why aren't you listening to my podcast? Yeah. Why aren't you doing <laughs> surveys to find yeah. out where, where you think the American people are on some of these topics, how they think about their data and their privacy? And, you know, so exactly. There's a lot, there's a lot yeah. of ways to get at this. But mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So uh, yes. let's play some in the news. Let's do it. OK, so this one, this one's kind of interesting. Uh, Wall Street Journal, national security concerns threaten undersea data link backed by Google and Facebook. Mm hmm. So if I'm reading this right, uh, Google and Facebook want to build this undersea connection to China. Yes. And the U.S. government said, maybe not. <laughs> well, the U.S. government and China are engaged right now in a little bit of uh, let's, uh, let's yank down our pants and see whose is bigger, right? And that's kind of, <laughs> this is definitely, this would have flown under the radar and not been a big deal at all before the trade war stuff started to happen and before the stuff with Huawei happened. Well, and here's the thing. If you go down in the article, there's a, there's a paragraph that says, ships have already, already draped out most of the <laughs> 1,000-mile Pacific light cable network across the seafloor between the Chinese territory and L.A. Yeah. It's already yeah. there. It's there. It's just now it's, now it's who, gets to, who, gets to, who gets to put their stuff through it. Can you imagine how hard it is to lay 8,000 miles 
of I don't even know what a light cable net. I don't even really know what the fuck you. I'm sure you know what the fuck that means, but like, <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, it's it's hard. I, I'm actually surprised that I, I'm just really surprised that so much of the traffic is still moving through actual physical cables on the ground and not satellite based at this point. But you know, yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. And so, <laughs> you know, and look, the Huawei thing kind of freaks me out, like because of course they're. I don't know if this is overly simplistic. Maybe you'll tell me. They're sort of like the Cisco of China, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe even uh, Cisco meets Apple. Yeah, okay. And so, like, their shit, if they're giving all the data about everything that rolls around their shit back to the government, I don't know. Uh, oh, but they say they aren't. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> look, yeah, look, it's, it's very, it's difficult to trust the Chinese right now. They've shown themselves not to be very trustworthy. Uh, these, uh, they are, they are not, they are not a capitalist society. They, they have big companies, but there's the government control is still there. And you, yeah. you know, Huawei can pretend to be separate, but when the government comes and knock it, they tend to open up the door. It's spooky. So yeah. we'll see, but you know what, on this one, I think I agree with our government. Let's yeah, I, I, I'm okay with it right now because yeah. I, I don't, we don't know what's happening yet. Um. We don't. We we just really don't. And there's a lot of suspect stuff that's that's we've heard. So let's let's maybe we. <laughs> how I don't understand how we can be in such a big trade war with China and then still be doing business with these Chinese corporations. Like what? Let's take a step back. Let's wait. Even independent of the trade war, look at how China tr treats their people. Look at what's going on in Hong Kong right now. Look at the fact that they have this weird 1984 Big Brother Facebook. Oh yeah, eye on each other, tattletale on each other, thing going on. With my my wife is first generation Canadian, but her family is from Hong Kong. So yeah, I've been paying a lot of attention to this to what's going on there. It's it's That's crazy the shit that they built. Yeah, nineteen eighty four Facebook. Yeah. everybody that that so. But but <laughs> one one just one other quick thing about this yeah. story because we're focused on on the Chinese aspect of it because they may be eavesdropping and listening in for national security reasons. I also don't want Facebook to own this damn thing. I don't oh, trust face. I tr I trust Facebook maybe less than I trust China. Yeah, that is interesting. They did def they definitely have done some nefarious monetization <laughs> without disclosure. Have they not? They've they've done a lot of things without disclosure. Yeah, I could do an entire two-hour show with you about how Facebook sucks. <laughs> All right, then. So this <laughs> next one is one that I had not heard about. Did this just happen? Maybe this just happened. Um, the new, the new stuff is, is just came out. Just come out, yeah. So uh, everything we know about the Capital One hacking from Wired. So apparently, mm -hmm. Capital One was hacked. Yes. And big, big hack. <laughs> financial data for more than. A hundred million customers. It showed almost everybody what's in your wallet. Ah, that was fast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but then shit gets weirder. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the FBI arrest former Amazon employee Paige Thompson, 33, mm -hmm. in connection yep. with the crime. So they were doing this on AWS. <laughs> they Yes. All, all hacks lead hacked to AWS. AWS breach. Yeah. She also hacked 30 other companies. Yes. And it was in a conspiracy to do some nefarious crypto jacking. <laughs> so what's going on here, Brian? Break this down for me. 
I'm not sure we really know what's going on here yet, because when the story first broke, and and I want to be sensitive to this issue, because I don't know if it's still true or not. When the story first broke, uh, the the woman, Paige Thompson, was being kind of painted with a, she has a lot of mental issues brush. Like there's something, doesn't not excusing what she did, not excusing the fact that she did this hack and everything, but there was some sort of mental problem issue treat treatment required thing. So to, I don't know if that's still the case or not, but the new stuff that's kind of come out is the fact that, you know, there was, I, I, I hesitate to call it a breach because all she was able to get the passwords to these sorts of things because of her position at Amazon. And she was able to get into these, these, um, you know, these buckets and, and get this data and crypto jacking, you know, of course. So what is she actually, I'm not sure I, I understand what she was doing. I don't really know what the point was from getting the data unless she was hoping to sell it on the dark web. Um, the crypto jacking stuff is just then, you know, you just use the, you're using their, their, their buckets and making them pay for, for, for the processes That's of, you know, setting up your, yeah, setting up your stupid so Bitcoin. She's going to sell this data. It says, Cloud infrastructure. She she accessed the cloud infrastructure mm-hmm. to uh, get to stolen credentials. So she yeah. was just selling everybody's data, credit card information, or ad- who addresses what. Who knows? I mean, that's all you can do with that sort of data. On you steal it and you have to sell it. Yeah, with cryptocurrencies, and that's what this crypto jacking is. Now, the crypto jacking part was then she was also setting up um, basically take going into their buckets that these companies are paying for and installing the software to use that that computing power to, to, you know, mine Bitcoin. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so getting money on that end as well. Weird one. And it's weird. Am I wrong or like, this is the first time something at this level has happened with AWS or am I completely not remembering this right? Oh, I don't, I, well, I don't know the exact numbers. This may be the biggest one, but they've, yeah. every week we talk, AWS has become a joke in our show. No, no, no. That, <laughs> no I'm talking about, see, the weird thing about this is 100 million Capital One customers, but then they just sort of float, fly by this in the next paragraph and also breaching 30 other companies and organizations. So A, 100 million <laughs> number, B, 30 other, what, how many other People at each of those, like this could end up being hundreds. Yeah, and where is the list of, of those corporate? Like that, that in the old days of the internet, <laughs> that would have been a hyperlink <laughs> to a list of the companies. Yeah. That's, uh, that's somewhere I think journalism is falling down these days. Like I want to know what all 30 of these companies are, but I'm sure there's reasons they can't uh, divulge it yet. They probably haven't sent out their emails saying you've been hacked. So this one's going to be fascinating. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, by the way, I've never done business with Equifax. Never, I didn't even know who the fuck Equifax was. Oh, but they know who you are. Yeah, and so I'm trying to get my 42 cents or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how much we get. Uh, all right, I thought, I thought, I don't know if this, this is maybe, this is maybe a harbinger of um, VR and AR things to come. I don't know. <laughs> but I thought this was just funny. Um, and I'm curious to get your take on karaoke. So the headline reads, too much karaoke sent man to hospital with a collapsed lung. One man in eastern China took it a little further. He sang for so long with such intensity that he experienced a collapsed lung. After performing 10 consecutive songs, all, of, all with very <laughs> high notes, the 65-year-old suffered chest pains. Hey, you know, Mick Jagger's got, what, 12 years on this guy? And he, he, does, he does two-hour sets? 
I know. I, I, this I, dude I, needs to man up a bit. This is weird. Uh, maybe it was the high notes. Maybe. I, I'm, I'm guessing he probably wasn't in the best of health to begin with. That would be my thought. Okay, now this one, this one probably sits right at this. The core of why maybe Trump <laughs> can get you depressed. AI can predict when somebody will die with unsettling accuracy. <laughs> Um, I, I will tell you this is at the core of why I get depressed, and I think you know why, because I believe you bolded the last uh, the last sentence, which is what is my trigger warning here. So okay, I'll just read, read this one. Yes, the predictions of early death that were made by AI algorithms were significantly more accurate than predictions delivered by a model that did not use machine learning. Yeah. <clears throat> well, is it AI or is it machine learning? And this is what drives me fucking nuts about journalism about AI. We don't have AI! There is no AI. All we have is machine learning. They are different things. They're used interchangeably in journalism now because AI gets headlines and gets clicks. We don't have AI. There is no AI. And so let's just pop the hood on this one so that we can get clear. <laughs> and I love every fucking AI headline you guys talk about on Grumpy Old Geek. It's insane every time. It's like a bull with red. I know. Time. And we, we can't get over it. So pop the hood for me. Why is, a, why is there no AI? What's really going on here when people say AI? There is no artificial intelligence. It does not exist. There is no computer that is turned on and went, hello, my name is Hal. How are you today? There is nothing. There is machine learning. There are decision tree software packages. That's it. That's what we got. No AI. None whatsoever. And the thing that drives me even crazier about this is what we're finding out is all these companies, Facebook, et cetera, Amazon, Apple, all of them are doing it, is they're saying that they're using AI, but we're finding out it's actually people. It's not even machine learning. They're using people. You guys, you guys discover an episode a week where some quote-unquote AI thing has like hundreds of people in the background. It's all outsourced to India or fucking, you know, Fiji or something like that. The AI is literally a room full of people being paid minimum wage. That's what AI is. Doing some kind of data analytics or something, right? That's right. That's what it is. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Drives me insane. I love how mad it makes you. <laughs> uh, all right. This one's just pure silliness. The world's funniest fart sounds messy lasts four seconds and is embarrassing okay, we knew all that but here's the crazy part scientists say <laughs> apparently scientists studied and broke down the 176 different types of farts i had no idea there were 176 and i applaud these people for their work that is valuable human knowledge scientists my son when he turns when he hits his teen years, we'll love this study. Neuroscientist Dr. <laughs> Helen Hilscher analyzed the results about flatulence. This is, this is look, they have, they have math equations. F equals bracket <laughs> L times I times L. Like what? They, they, they did fart math. They did. They did. It's very impressive. Have you ever uh, read or heard of the Darwin Awards? Oh, are you kidding yeah, there you go. So somebody paid money for this. And it was obviously British because I love the names, the the cheeky squeaker, the thunder blender. You can't oh, get much. Guess who paid for the study? Hmm. Bino. Oh, it's an advertisement. This is legendary marketing. <laughs> How this is uh, what do they call these stories when you when you do when you do sponsored content? 
Yeah, it's called yeah. trend jacking. Although in this case, they're making their own trends. They're they're making news. See, this is right up your alley. You should appreciate this. No, I love this. It's genius <laughs> marketing. And as a matter of fact, as a side note, when we talk about categories, legendary category creators and designers evangelize the problem. And the bigger and the more urgent and the more people care about the problem, the more time, money, and energy they'll put into it. And so Bino is breaking by breaking down the 176 farts. Maybe they maybe maybe they're special Bino's depending on the type of farts. That's right. They can have like the Heinz 47. That's like the Bino one through 176. You buy the right type for the for for what's ailing you. It's it's legendary marketing, and uh, <laughs> there you find it. Real scientists. Okay, here's one I thought you'd appreciate. Maybe maybe this is a happy one. You'll tell me. French flying man crosses channel on jet powered hoverboard. All right. French inventor. You ready for this? You ready for his name? I swear <laughs> to God, I'm not making this up. Frankie Zapata. Maybe Frank Zappa never died and he just moved to France and renamed well, himself. Is this a French? Uh, <laughs> I mean, Frankie Zapata. Come on, that's a great name. That's a great name. That's that needs to be a character name on on some show. He crossed the channel on a jet-powered hoverboard. He designed uh, zooming over the Strait of Dover in twenty minutes. <laughs> That's impressive. I actually heard about this story um, from somewhere else. I was reading about it and, and he said he did an interview and he said that actually the worst part of all of it was, was the fact that his, his ankles were killing him because you have to maintain balance. And he almost like, he couldn't walk for like three days after he did this because his feet were so messed up from it. <laughs> that it's crazy. And so it says he was flanked by three helicopters, which is kind of wild. Mm-hmm. And then he reached Britain after a stop on a boat halfway through the 35-kilometer crossing to refuel, waving to onlookers before safely before landing safely in St. Margaret's Bay. That's amazing. Second attempt. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, I, my only question is, uh, who paid for this? Is this guy independently wealthy? Did he is he an inventor? Like who who paid for the helicopters? Who who did all this? Who who is Bino in on this? What's going on? It was Bino. It says the inventor had received 1.3 million euro grant from the French army late in 2018 to finance it. <laughs> well, I'm not too worried about the French the French coming and taking us over. Oh no, here they come on their hoverboards. They can only go for 20 minutes. Yeah, and it looks you know what it looks like when you see these pictures of it? Um, do you remember um Lost in Space? Uh the the original one or the nice well done reboot on no, HBO? No, no, the original one from the <laughs> but what was the robot's name? Oh gosh. Danger Well Robinson. Danger yes, Robinson. that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, like corny sixties. <laughs> sci-fi tv shows like the, this looks like a made-up thing right here in this photo well you know he's he's french he's gotta he's gotta be stylish he's not gonna make it look yeah. stupid the other hysterical part of the story it says on his first attempt he was knocked off balance uh when he was trying to land he was knocked off balance in the process and fell and he used a bigger boat and platform this time <laughs> right don't you right. always need a bigger boat, Brian? You always need a bigger boat. <laughs> Come on. How great is that? That's amazing. <laughs> we need a bigger boat. Somebody <laughs> had to have said that. 
for the love of God. Yes, but in French. Unfortunately, I don't speak French. Otherwise, I'd bust it out right now and look really learned. Uh, <laughs> God, I, I should be able to say this, but... Uh, oh, yeah, you're from Montreal. You're failing me right now. En besoin in plus grand bateau. Nice. There. If you that nailed it. it. It was close enough for rock and roll. How do you like that? Just pulled that, like right that out of the old duder's head. <laughs> uh, all right, Brian. Well, hey, is there anything else you want to um, you want to touch on before we wrap? No, I think we're pretty good. It was a good time. That was a lot of fun. Well, I had a great time. Uh, you're one of my podcast heroes. It's <laughs> so much fun to uh, you know. I, I I feel like I know you because I listen to you every week. <laughs> Thank and you so much. You and Jason are fucking off the charts great and i hope you never quit i'm not planning on it right now we'll see we'll see how it goes right now we're having too much fun doing it and staying away being grumpy with humor the humor seems to solve the problems and the other thing i have to tell you um first of all massive massive honor to try to pinch hit for you uh, a couple weeks back (laughs) and when i listened to that episode with me on it i hated it and and i was like (laughs) Why do I think this sucks so bad? And the reason I thought it sucked was I'm used to hearing the two of you and Bittner on Friday, right? Right. It just didn't sound right with some other guy on the show, even though the other guy was me. (laughs) (laughs) I think you did a great job. I was sitting listening to it going, I should take more vacations. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, normally when I listen to a podcast I'm on, mine or somebody else's, Generally, I'm not one of these guys that's overly critical. And actually, because I tend to listen to it like a listener, I forget that, you know, I'm one of the people on the podcast. Right. Um, And so I don't have that. Maybe I'm stupid or something, but I don't have this critic living in my head most of the time unless I do something completely idiotic. Um, But in the case of my visit with Jason on Grumpy Old Geeks, yeah, the whole time I'm like, the the vibe isn't right because it's some (laughs) other dude. (laughs) Yeah, you weren't busting Jason's balls enough about his dogs. That's that's the problem. Or his yeah. Chinese security cameras. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I appreciate you letting me fill in nonetheless. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Thank you for doing that. I sure hope you come back. I think you guys are awesome. I hope I hope uh, you guys will cycle in and, out of, uh, in and out of my life and in and out of my podcast on a periodic basis. I think you guys are fucking awesome. Oh, anytime, man. Like I said, we didn't even really talk about technology with me. We just did music this time around. Yeah, well, lot, lots more next time. All right, man. Thank you, Senator. Thank you. Well, there he was, the one and only Brian Schulmeister. And if you love this episode, uh, check out episode 86 of Follow Your Different with Grumpy Old Geek co-host Jason DeFilippo. And probably most importantly, wherever you get legendary podcasts, why not hit that subscribe button? If you're in the tech business or you like technology, or you like humor, or you like me can get your grump on, um, I think you'd love grumpy old geeks. All right, now, is it grow time in your business? Because my friends at NetSuite want to help you master your growth. And um, they're offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. Check out netsuite.com different. And while you're there, you can set up a growth review to look at the opportunities and challenges in your business and see how you break through to the next level. 
Now, as you know, if you're in business, um, growth comes with some challenges. It's what we all want, but it comes with some challenges. Cash flow management, the ability to respond quickly to marketing, uh, market challenges and changes, uh, new distribution channels. We live today in an omni-channel world, and there's more and more data and technology all the time. You got to get your planning and budgeting right. And NetSuite really facilitates all of that stuff, including company-wide planning and reporting. NetSuite has facility for both company-wide and departmental financial planning with modeling capabilities, uh, uh, workflows and approvals, and of course, all of the reporting that goes with that. And NetSuite sort of comes together in one collaborative, scalable cloud offering. With Oracle NetSuite, you can plan and execute your growth strategy uh, for the coming year. So go to netsuite.com slash different to set up your free growth review today. All right. We would like to thank Brian Schulmeister and the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast with the greatest tagline maybe in podcast history, what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Check out GOG.show today. That's GOG.show. Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different. It's my second book. Why not go to Amazon.com and pick up a couple thousand copies today? OneLifeFullyLived.org. Helping us dream, plan, and live our best lives. Uh, this is a nonprofit, uh, really help trying to sort of put together all the best in financial information, entrepreneurial information, life design, and life planning information, motivational stuff, and bring it to you for as close to free as possible because we're a nonprofit. Check out onelifefullylive.org. My friends at Bixen 2, Hacking the Future. These folks are incredible. Bix Bixen is an amazing guy, and um, he taught me more about how to design a legendary life than pretty much anybody else, and now he's doing it for business leaders, and he's doing it with his amazing son, Joe. Check out Bixen, the number two, dot com. Someone destroyed my rocket ship and other havoc I have witnessed at the office. It's a best-selling book from my friend, my favorite feel-good writer on planet Earth. She was just on Dushka Zapata. Zapata. Someone destroyed my rocket ship by Dushka Zapata. Growwire.com. It's what legendary entrepreneurs are reading for stories of innovation. Check out Growwire.com today. GoBundance, a mastermind group of legendary male entrepreneurs who are grabbing life big. Check them out at GoBundance.com. Don't forget about my friends at Splunk, helping you turn data into action at SPLUNK.com. And the Front Row Foundation, making moments that matter for people facing the toughest moment, which is the possibility of their um, their death. It's an amazing thing when Front Row Foundation makes uh, people facing this horrible situation, um, you know, gives them an opportunity to have a once-in-a-lifetime bucket list, bucket list-like experience. Check out the FrontRowFoundation.org today. All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes, and this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. The information contained in this podcast should not be taken without the express written consent of a medical profession, and before making any decisions or taking any actions, you should consult with your clergy, lawyer, doctor, accountant, and of course, shaman. Don't forget to support your local podcaster, buy John's Crazy Socks. Uh, subscribe to Lock It on Marketing. It's the hot new marketing podcast. Just saying. Tell two people you love about two podcasts you love. Uh, listen to Punk Rock. Only buy pasture-raised free-range eggs. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? 
Today, our deepest apologies go out to Marcus Rust, CEO of Roseacre Farms. Sorry, Marky, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. And until we're together again, follow your difference.